0: I'm Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Thanks. Beckett Media, Beckett Radium, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck. I want to do an episode about bubbles and balloons, uh, and plural. I, I think when people talk about a bubble or a balloon being over, uh, ready to burst, I'm not sure that's the right analogy. So I'm coming back to this, and I want to present the, the concept of bubbles and balloons. That actually, if you have a bunch of bubbles that are inside another bubble, which is inside another bubble, or a bunch of balloons inside another balloon, inside a a bigger balloon. The biggest balloon is just the national or global economy. If that bubble pops, or if air gets let out of that significantly, uh, it's going to crowd the other bubbles or balloons that are inside. The uh, next inner bubble, the middle bubble is this broad-based sports card uh, collecting interest. The fact that we have, that bubble is pretty, pretty full, pretty, uh, that, that's, if it's a balloon, it's filled with helium. But that's affected by the net of more collectors and money coming in. Uh, than going out so we have a lot of new collectors a lot of money coming in and that keeps that bubble that balloon filled very full like I said with the helium and that's the concern that people are talking about when they're talking about the bubble of the hobby <laughs> but inside that what I want to focus on today is that that there are many little bubbles within the broad-based sports cards collecting there's different sports there's different uh, types of things that people go after there's uh, players and sets and uh, vintage and modern and all kinds of different things I don't, I think that some of those bubbles, there've always been disappointing players that people invested in and thought this guy's going to be the next greatest thing. And the guy had a a career-ending injury, and people lost that as one of the smaller bubbles or balloons that are inside the the bigger balloon, inside the biggest balloon. There's market manipulation based on these uh, bubbles. That's people trying to get extra air in these uh, balloons. And there are manipulators, and there are the manipulated, the manipulatee. And both of those can win, and both can lose. The manipulator actually—it's not a sure thing. There are active market manipulators and passive market—the passive participants, let's say—in the market manipulation. And it depends on the, the motive. The manipulator, the prime mover, that first manipulator that that is touting or hyping something—that uh, frankly, that person typically does well. And that's not just true of sports cards; it's true of every. Of a stock market or anything, the first person that makes a move on it, if if that person has significant influence, that prop person can do well. Uh, but far more insidious and common is nine passive participation in the manipulation. Someone that goes along, and that doesn't even seem bad, and it's actually been profitable. You're just betting on the market continue to go up, but in a sense, you're participating in the manipulation if you're following that uh, influencer, and it's and it turns out to be unfounded. I'm not talking about when cards go up. For, for good reason. I'm talking about when cards go up for a reason that's it's inexplicable that you can't figure it out. So anything probably can be manipulated. Certainly players, you can make a run on a player, a specific card, a product. And the other thing that historically is a manipulation of a concept. So if you were to think, go back uh, 40 years ago and say, people are manipulating this thing called rookie cards, this RC. If you thought that was hype and manipulation, you would have missed out on this amazing bull market of rookie cards having extraordinary value. Same thing with Hall of Famers. If you go back uh, 50 years, uh, when I first got into it, uh, there was not much of a premium for Hall of Famers, even the very best players. And so that's, if you were to say, that's just a hype, that's a fad, that's a manipulation. No, it's so widespread and it's accepted. Another thing that's uh, manipulation accused of manipulation, and probably is here to stay, is the uh, emphasis on high-grade specimens. There were people, go back 25 years ago, uh, 20 years ago, when people said, that's that's ridiculous to pay such a premium. That's manipulation. You shouldn't pay that much more for an 8 than a 7, a 9 than an 8, a 10 than a 9. And if you were Thinking that way, you would have been wrong for 25 years, because that, that again, is, is a, an enduring trend, not a manipulation that was uh, short-lived. But same thing, second-year cards, inserts, parallels. Variation cards was something that was a little bit faddish. Error cards, a little bit faddish. One-of-ones, easily manipulated, except that you can control the market because you get the one-of-only one. So what would I do if I were thinking about avoiding being uh, manipulated? How would I know if something is if I'm being uh, stretched to pay more than what I should just based on what what's going on? I I know I'm biased, but I I'd look at the first published price in a Beckett magazine or a Beckett book. I'd want to see what did the price start out at before the, the first price usually has uh, a recognition of supply and demand, but it's but it's but it's early demand, and and uh, so if it was. Uh, same thing with a, with a product that's a, an unopened product. What was the original intended SRP? If it was a hundred dollar box and it's now selling for $500, what has changed since? Was the supply misperceived or how has demand skyrocketed at 500%? Is, is it a good reason? You, you certainly know the card companies were, were trying to price things fully and they were expecting that the, there would be rookie cards that would hit it. And so when something gets way above SRP, it needs to be for a really good reason. People talk about fear of missing out. I also, I think the greater fear is fear of embarrassment. But the fear of embarrassment is not, it works both ways. It's not the fear of embarrassment of, I paid this much for this card and now it's not worth very much. Uh, it's more the embarrassment, as I've mentioned in some of these episodes, <laughs> I, I I have to lament the cards I passed on and I'm embarrassed to say I didn't bid higher and I became the Underbidder. So that's, the, the, there's two kinds of embarrassments. Embarrassment of how much I paid for something that is no longer worth that much and the embarrassment of passing on something that now is worth a lot. Okay. What if I started a podcast? Hello, cautious sports card investors. Would that be a popular podcast? I think not. <laughs> sports card investors, that has a nice ring to it, but the cautious sports card investors, who would want to listen to that? It'd be advice on what not to buy. Again, people love to see things going up. There's nothing wrong with that. That's human nature. What I'm trying to do is change this into, instead of buying this, buy that. So don't buy this, not that, uh, that there are alternatives. And if something gets is too manipulated and the price is too high, you don't have to follow the herd. In fact, that's the antidote, I believe, to bubble or bubbles or balloon or balloons popping or imploding. Because bubbles of various sizes have popped throughout the years, and the hobby has endured. If you're an investor, you, you probably should consider diversifying your smaller hobby balloons because you should not expect that not all, all will be winners and no one can tell you which ones will be winners. There's no sure things. There are any number of uh, macro and micro things that could happen that would, that no one can predict the future. And if you're a collector, I, I wouldn't worry about it. Collect what I like, but have some restraint. And the restraint that I'm recommending is to treat, treat every transaction or tra- acquisition you make as a quasi trade. And even if it's money for cards, you have other things you could do with the money. Uh, do you want that card so bad? And if you thought about it instead of thinking money, which is not necessarily easily replaced, but money just is the medium of exchange. If you thought about which some of the, some of my guests, experts who've been on have mentioned this, if you thought of acquiring a new Grail card as, in effect, a trade for some of your other precious cards, for this new precious card, that may give you more pause. And that would be good. That would be okay. If you thought, well, in order to get this really good card that's run up in price, I'm going to have to trade off or sell these other two cards that are also have run up in price. Do I really want to do that? And just to be able to stop and not be on uh, an emotional uh, roller coaster where you have to have it that's trouble. So, again, hello cautious sports card investors. Don't it's okay to be cautious, but I don't deny it's not as much fun and that's the dilemma of uh, being a um, uh, trying to avoid uh, bubbles and balloons and being a cautious, prudent but sports card investor or collector that is really enjoying the ride. If you don't enjoy the ride, like I say, if in da- if in doubt, don't there are a few cards that if you don't buy them, they only come around once. But with prices going up, it's amazing how things have come out of the woodwork as prices have increased. And I don't expect that will change. And if prices go down, I think the same thing will happen. There'll still be a lot of stuff out there that uh, is good stuff that people can buy and enjoy. So thanks, listeners. Thanks, uh, everybody. And I will be back uh, t- tomorrow with another episode. The